Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 112. I'm sorry I've been absent, folks. I've been dealing with yet another sickness. My daughter keeps bringing me home viruses from daycare, and they keep hitting me hard. So I'm struggling a little bit today with a sore throat, but we're going to get through it. You guys deserve it, and it feels good to be back. This episode, we're going to share a couple of listener voice messages, and then we're going to get into 10 random Mopar facts. These facts are just fun facts that you may or may not already know, but for the newer listeners and the people newer to the world of Mopar, I think they're fun facts that every Mopar enthusiast should know. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get this show on the road. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. All right, folks, here's the deal. I said we were going to play two listener voice messages. One of them was actually more of a personal message, so I'm not going to play that one. And the other one was actually 10. One listener sent in 10 messages. It's a good story, so I'm going to go ahead and splice all those together and tell that gentleman's story. Here's the thing. If you call in and leave a voice message, please give me your name and where you're from so I know who I'm talking to. This listener forgot to leave his name and location in the message, but that's okay. I reached out to him and we found out his name is Caleb and he's local to me from Whidbey Island. Here is Caleb's story. Hey, Chris. I'm sort of a sort of a long time listener now. Not really. I've been listening since uh, the spring of this year. Just kind of wanted to call in and give you my story. And uh, I think I have kind of a unique situation. Um, I'm a young Mopar enthusiast. I'm 24. Uh, I got into Mopars when I was, I think, about 13. And to really, to nobody's credit, um, kind of funny. Uh, I was about 13, and I really found that I liked cars. And uh, I had friends my age. They were into Volkswagens, European cars. Uh, I was so sick and tired of hearing about Hondas and Subarus. I just I couldn't handle it. And uh, my parents, my dad was a Chevy man, and my mom preferred Fords. And uh, I guess I just kind of decided that I thought everybody's opinion sucked and that Mopars were the uh, best one out there. Uh, kind of funny. Uh, my dad drove a 95 Chevy Silverado, and my mom drove a uh, 99 Expedition. And uh, those cars had some mileage on them. And... I was really into uh, getting into the Mopars and Mom's Expedition. Anybody, any listeners that know about the uh, Triton motors with their habit to shoot spark plugs out of the uh, cylinders, Mom's Expedition did just that. And uh, my parents decided it was time for uh, new cars. So and I decided to give them my input and tell them, hey, you should go buy Mopars. And to uh, nobody's surprise but mine, uh, they ignored my advice um, as I would not listen to a 12, 13-year-old either, <laughs> and um, they went out and bought a 2009 F-150 and a 2012 Focus, and uh, I did what I guess I thought was right for a 13-year-old, and I just talked endless shit, and I continuously reminded my dad that he was driving a wimp truck. Uh, his 
F-150 had the 4.6, and it really couldn't tow shit without the transmission overheating or running out of breath. And the uh, big mouth 13-year-old in the back seat made sure that uh, he knew it. And uh, uh, I remember in about the seventh grade, my shop teacher, my shop teacher and math teacher, I went to a pretty small school on uh, Woodby Island just across the pond from you. Uh, uh, he had a an early third-gen Ram half-ton, and since he was also the shop teacher, he parked that truck, you know, right outside the door, and seventh-grade me freaking drooled over that truck. Um, oh, my God. I, I As far as I can remember, I think that's what really started my love for Mopars. My shop teacher's truck and any Mopar I saw going down the road really just kept my love for Mopars alive. And anything I could find on the Internet, I remember just drooling over the LX cars, especially, you know, being my age. I, you know, I admittedly wasn't into vintage Mopars, didn't really know about them. You know, it was just the new stuff, the stuff that was on showrooms and the stuff that was running around. And then uh, my older brother, who's six years older than me, um, he got himself a pretty stable job and decided that he didn't want to drive his uh, shitty Audi anymore. And he wanted an American truck. So uh, he decided, going with the flow of my parents, unsurprisingly, he decided he wanted an F-150 EcoBoost. And uh, I remember him and my dad sitting on the couch. Remember, my dad's 09 F-150 had the 4.6 Triton, uh, which sucked. So him and my older brother and my dad were sitting on the couch watching these F-150 EcoBoost videos on the laptop, just drooling over the things. And then there was me standing over their shoulders behind the couch talking endless shit. And I, to this day, I don't regret it. <laughs> I told him, I said, you buy one of those trucks, you will regret it. And uh, he actually, uh, to my surprise, he was living up in Bellingham at the time. We went to visit him and uh, we pulled into the parking lot of his apartment and I shit my 13-year-old pants. I couldn't believe it. He had a 2003 uh, Ram 2500 with the 5.7 Hemi. It was leveled. It was on, I think at the time, 35s. He later put 37s on it. And uh, I said, man, you made the right choice. And incidentally, at the um, later, my parents, my dad's 09 uh, F-150 started having a bunch of problems. It hit 30,000 miles, and he ended up putting a new uh, steering rack on it, power steering pump. The transmission issues were getting worse. It started slipping and shifting badly. And my mom's focus with, I think, like 37,000 miles, uh, anybody who's familiar with the focuses of those years, um, are infamous for transmission failures. Ford is under a big uh, class action lawsuit because of those. So uh, uh, my mom's focus also ended up shitting the bed at the same time. And um, all they pretty much could remember as they were footing the bills for these expensive repairs on their cars that were just outside of the warranty um, were the annoying 13 and then at that point, 14-year-old. I might have been creeping up on 15 at that point. Uh, always talking about Mopars, and I just wouldn't shut the hell up. So anyway, with my parents disappointed with their uh, pretty new cars that were experiencing some expensive failures, uh, I took it upon myself to just start showing my dad some trucks, some nice Dodge trucks. With I showed him some Cummins trucks. I remember we went and looked at a uh, an O2 um, half ton with the uh, 360, which I still think is so cool that those trucks 
uh, came with those motors for that one that one model year. Anyway, um, I finally found a uh, 2012. It was 2013 at the time. A 2012 Ram 2500 with 11,000 miles on it, and uh, it was uh, I, it was the same color as the truck you just got rid of, Chris. I think it's called Saddle Brown. Uh, his first impression of that color was, eh. and then we went down there and looked at it, and he fell in love with that truck. He test drove it. He had to have it. Uh, and me, I'm like, oh yeah, I was right all along. I chose Mopars for no reason that I knew of. I just knew in my in my instinct that those were you know, Mopars were the best. And uh, he uh, bought that truck, drove it home, and he loved it. Uh, it was a 2012, you know, 6.7 Cummins, six-speed automatic. We put some 35s on that, leveled it. And my mom's Focus, uh, which I actually liked driving that car, admittedly, is a pretty fun little whip. Um, she didn't want it anymore, understandably. So uh, we headed back to the same dealership because my parents had such a good uh, experience there. And she bought a, it was 2013, it was just about three months after my dad bought his tr- his Ram. Um, we uh, bought a 2012 uh, leftover Dodge Journey with like six miles on it. Um, she, you know, bought that, uh, had the, has the uh, 3.6 V6. She still has, both my parents still have those cars. Um, they actually have a, a 2012 Jeep now. Anyway, I was like feeling great. I got my, I pretty much converted my family into Mopars, you know, despite my, uh, pompous ass attitude. But then there was me, uh, I had, my parents had a rule for all four of us. I have three other brothers that we had to buy our own cars. And I had no money, but I had a plan. My great grandma, um, bought in 92, a 91 leftover Geo Prism. And she hadn't driven it in years. And it had 60,000 miles on it. And the car was pristine. A Geo Prism. Yeah, you heard that right. My plan was to, uh, since she gave up her license already, my plan was to smooth talk her into giving me that car. And um, basically, once uh, I left the driveway, I was going to put it for sale and buy myself a second-gen Ram. And... Uh, I had nefarious attentions. My plans were to smooth talk my grandma into giving me her car, and uh, I was going to sell it and use the money, the, the thousand bucks that that car was worth, and to buy a second-gen Ram. I was so desperate for a Mopar. That was my only shot at getting one. And um, sadly, I took the car. I didn't have the heart to sell it from under her like that, and I don't think my parents would have let me, honestly. So I drove that car through high school. I actually bought a 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe with a blown motor. I put a motor in that. That was kind of a cool car, but it was still a Ford. Yeah, I know. I What a major misstep. If you want to, you know, get me for that, I get it. Um, so I did that. And then uh, in 2017, I finally bought my first Mopar. I, uh, my wife and I had bought a house, and we decided that I needed a truck. So my, I had we had uh, not a lot of money, and my truck had to have four wheel drive, had to be a V8, and it had to have a, a uh, manual transmission. So uh, my options were uh, pretty narrow, and but I actually ended up finding a 2004 Ram 1500 um, with a 4.7 V8 and a five speed. So yes, Chris, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say the 4.7 is a dog. But uh, I bought that truck. I got a 
I got a pretty good deal on it. Um, only had 130,000 miles on it, but it needed the timing change replaced. So I went through that. I uh, replaced the timing chains. I um, new oil pump, valve lash adjusters. I pretty much did a went through a, a pretty good refresh of that whole motor. And uh, I leveled it, put some 35s on it. I still have it. Um, but yeah, that truck is a dog. I can't even, ever since I put the 35s on it, I can't even put it in fifth gear. So my plan is to, um, eventually when I have $3,500 to just throw around, my plan is to take the truck and get the uh, 355 gears replaced with the four, with, replaced with 456 gears. I read online that that really, uh, wakes them up and pretty much makes fifth gear usable again. But yeah, Chris, I know exactly what you're talking about when, uh, when you talk about those four sevens, but they're reliable as hell, man. It's been a great motor. It sounds good. But, um, anyway, that being my first Mopar, um, just scratching the itch was not enough. Uh, I really, you know, re- reflecting back to my middle and high school days, I loved the LX cars. I wanted an LX car so bad that I pretty much begged my wife to let me get an LX car. We didn't have the money. We weren't, we were in no place to get one, but I begged and begged, and she agreed that if I found, like, a fixer-upper, that uh, we could talk about getting one. So I found a 2007 Dodge Magnum SRT8 with a cracked engine block, and uh, I was pretty much in love. It's a clean car on Hellcat wheels, nice staggered setup. Um, so I went to look at the car, and um, I asked him why the engine block was cracked, and um he told me that uh, if you remember back in 2018, in February of 2018, we had a pretty bad uh, snowstorm here. And at the time, the car had a, a crack in the radiator. And um, he decided that uh, until he got around to it, he wasn't going to waste antifreeze on uh, just keeping it topped up. So he decided to put water in it in uh, February. Um, to keep up on the coolant. Well, uh, to really no one's surprise, but his, I guess, uh, that, that snowstorm came and everything froze up and cracked the engine block. Good enough for me, though. So I uh, brought the car home in uh, February of 2020. The car had been sitting a while, but he did a pretty good job of keeping it clean. He kept those uh, dehumidifiers inside that made it smell good and kept the the mold out so it you know was really uh no loss in terms of the time that the car spent sitting but this happened in february of 2020 and then COVID hit and uh everything scared the shit out of me my job got real uh shaky and the car sat until october of 2020 uh basically to when i had the money saved up and had the guts to pull the trigger on a uh 6-1 hemi for it I got that in there, and um, yeah, that's pretty much the story on how I got my LX car. And then my wife, who was driving, she was driving a uh, Mazda Protege that burned a lot of oil and was just real ran down. She, uh, when we were in high school, she's my high school sweetheart. When we were in high school, she really wanted a Ford Bronco, and I said, uh, "That's not going to happen. Not my driveway, girlfriend." And uh, she basically accepted. <laughs> I would have let her get a Bronco, but the thing is, is I have, I just hate working on Fords so much that, um, I've worked on quite a few Fords and just the way they're designed, I just, I despise it. So I said, you know, you can get a Bronco, but, um, when it breaks, it's going to be sitting for a long time before I decide to get around to it. 
But she basically, uh, she also wanted a Jeep. So uh, she really wanted a Jeep uh, for all that time. And in uh, this last uh, November, pretty much right after I got the Magnum running, um, we found her a – sorry about that, my freaking dog. Um, so anyway, uh, in November of 2020, we found my wife a Jeep that was having some issues with run- – uh, having some running issues. It started, but um, basically was undrivable. And uh, we went out there to look at it. And uh, it's Jeep Wrangler uh, TJ 97. And uh, we went out there and looked at it. And I noticed when the car was cranking, and I could, if I gave it gas and basically floored it and floored it and basically just feathered the hell out of it, the car uh, would barely run. And I noticed that the uh, tachometer was hitting zero, you know, real intermittently. It was it would hit zero and bounce back while the car was running. And I knew, based off my experience working on cars, that uh, it need it was that that uh, basically the uh, instruments weren't seeing an RPM signal. And after some research, I realized that it needed a crank sensor. So we bought the car, got a screaming deal on that. I put a hundred, $150 Mopar crank sensor in there, and that thing has ran like a top ever since. I, I did have to put a radiator in it, but it's got 92,000 miles. Um, got it lifted four inches now. It's on uh, some bigger tires. It's uh, So she, I got her in a Mopar, and um, so basically we're all converted into uh, uh, Mopars at this point. And uh, I was at work. Uh, April of 2021 now, I was at work, and all my coworkers know that I'm in, uh, I'm a big Mopar guy. They always give me shit about it. And, uh, I had a couple of coworkers who thought it was so funny and were giving me all this shit about being a Mopar guy who is under the age of 60. <laughs> and, um, I wasn't having none of that. And I was just kind of starting to dabble into the podcast world. So I, uh, angrily went onto my phone and typed in Mopar just because I was mad about stuff. And uh, I found your podcast. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I did not think that I would find anything. And I clicked on your podcast, and I opened it up, and you had like, oh, my God, 80-some episodes. You're on like 83 or 84, I think. And I wasted no time. I went all the way to the bottom, and I started on episode one, and I binge-watched, or I binge-listened to the entire thing over like, probably three weeks to a month. So I've really been uh, meaning to call in and uh, tell you my story since then, but I just haven't gotten around to it. But anyway, when I got to about the 40th episode of the Talking Mopars uh, podcast, I was so sold. I was just, I needed a vintage Mopar. I would not shut up about it. I would not, I was the way I was acting, you'd think that I was into vintage Mopars my whole life. Anyway, even though I started as a modern Mopar guy, I always respected the vintage Mopars. Don't get me wrong, but because they were so out of my era, and um, at this point, you know, even, you know, Mopars were always so out of reach, I just never even looked into them. But I needed a Mopar. I was just, I was going vintage, or I needed a vintage Mopar. I was going vintage Mopar crazy. And so I went on uh, Marketplace, and I started looking and looking and looking, and I found a uh, 70, it was either a 71 or a 72 um, Plymouth Scamp. And uh, it was a little A-body slant six, um, you know, column shift automatic. Just, it was a really rough car, and I actually got a hold of you, 
and I asked you what you thought about it. The guy was asking five grand. Uh, it had been sitting outside. It had rust. You know, every there was not a straight panel on that car. And because uh, I was talking to the guy, I was you know really thinking about buying it. You know, because I had pretty much accepted the fact that these vintage Mopar prices were so expensive. And uh, you got a whole, you got back to me and you said, hey, you know, um, no, basically, if you can get that thing for a lot cheaper, like a thousand bucks go for it but otherwise i wouldn't do it so i i took your advice and i then i found a uh, 67 coronet over in squim and um for five thousand bucks same price i was like oh my god what's going on with this thing why is it so cheap i had a 318 uh call and shift automatic again and um i got a hold of the guy and we worked out you know a time to meet up and um uh, as I said before, I'm on Woodby Island, and there is a Coopville Port Townsend ferry, but that ferry is always booked up, and it's pretty expensive. So I uh, got my parents' trailer, and my dad and my mom came with me and my wife uh, with their truck and trailer. Paid for the ferry fare to go from uh, Clinton to Muckleteo. Then we drove down to Edmonds and rode the Edmonds-Kingston ferry, and we drove all the uh, – so this is $300 in ferry fare, you know, just just – uh, to put that out there, drove all the way up to Squim and looked at the car and it had a pretty fresh, uh, you know, flat black paint job, not just on the outside, but underneath it in the trunk, everything was, you know, and, uh, it ran, it ran good. He said, Oh, I just put a car, uh, different carb on it this morning and, uh, it was too big. So it was kind of wanting to fall on its face a little bit. And, uh, I was like, okay, but I drove it. It drove good, stopped good. And, uh, you know, we decided on, um, I think we decided on 4000 or 4500 bucks. And when it came time for him to pull out the paperwork, um, he, you know, pulled out the title, and it was an out-of-state title from, like, Illinois or something like that. So that was the first red flag. I'm like, what the hell are you doing in Washington with this car with an Illinois title? I think it was Illinois. It was, it was from far away, and um, I grabbed the, t- the title and I compared it to the VIN number on the car, and um, it did not match. It wasn't even close. It did say '67 Coronet, but the numbers just did not match at all. And I was so pissed. I spent all that time, and I waited in ferry lines, waited in traffic, spent all that money on the uh, ferry fare, and, <clears throat> and I called him before we went out there. I said, "Hey." I just want to make sure that the title is good, all the paperwork is good. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, uh, my son brought, bought it as a project, and uh, he never transferred it, but it's been signed by the previous owner, and um, but it's all good. So I was like, eh, it's kind of a red flag, you know, title jumping isn't really, you know, it's illegal or whatever, but I thought, yeah, maybe your son's just an idiot and everything's good. He said the VIN number matches and it's signed, so I thought, you know, fuck it, we'll just go out there and um, buy it and hope for the best. But with the... Uh, VIN number, not, not even close to matching the car. I was so pissed. He did not tell me that. I guess in hindsight, I, I really should have just picked up on that first red flag and said, screw it, this car's too cheap, too good of a deal, you know, forget it. So anyway, went all the way back home, mad as hell, and uh, I was back on the Internet, and I was looking at this uh, 73 Plymouth Duster. And that car I had been looking at, ever since I started my vintage Mopar search, but the guy was asking 9,500 bucks for it. Uh, it was a 73 uh, Duster 318 
um, four-speed car. Uh, looked, you know, like a clean car. The guy said it ran good and everything. And um, uh, the other car, I was selling a car to uh, make room for this car. And um, I sold that car. And that day, I checked the that duster listing, and he dropped it 500 bucks to $9,000. And I was like, okay, I'm pouncing on this. I've got to just go look at this car. And um, so basically, I got a hold of the guy, and uh, we decided to go down there and look at it. And, um, you know, it was a clean car thing, you know, ran great. You know, it's got a nice, it's got a mild cam in it. I don't know what it has, but it's got, you know, you know, 318, Edelbrock carb, four-barrel uh, intake, hooker headers um, with a mild cam. It's, you know, it's um, nothing nothing worth, you know, it's not too exciting, but it's definitely hopped up in it, you know, a little bit, and it sounds pretty good. And uh, We agreed on 8500 bucks, whether you think that's a good deal or not. You know, this is Washington. We overpay for everything here. And um, anyway, the title and everything on that car was good, um, which I guess is a lot to ask. But uh, the title was good. The car was, uh, it had, you know, the quarters had some rust bubbling going on. The trunk has some surface rust. But the car is, you know, like surprisingly rust-free. Um, like I said, ran super good, drove good, just needed, it really needed everything gone through. It needed, uh, you know, it had air shocks that were, you know, you know, uneven. They were tilted. It rode rough. Uh, one of the rear tires had an air bubble. It pulls to the right. Uh, mass, needed master cylinder. It just kind of needs, you know, everything gone through, you know, because uh, he said it had been sitting in his garage since 2011. And uh, so I bought that car, and uh, I freaking love it. I have it to this day. So to kind of roll out the red carpet to you, Chris, um, I'm, you know, a young Mopar guy, and, you know, if it wasn't for your podcast, man, I would still, you know, I'd have the respect for the vintage Mopars like I always have, but I, you know, no doubt I would not have one in my driveway. And thanks to finding the podcast and getting into this scene and, you know, uh, uh, I love the lives of Johnny Mopar. Um, I've definitely been watching a lot of his YouTube and uh, he's in the B-body, something that I definitely can't touch with uh, my budget. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm so glad that basically I found your podcast and you pretty much led me to the vintage Mopar scene because that kind of what really uh, made me pull the trigger and decide to make the call today was I was catching up on uh, episode 100 and 101. And you guys were talking about how um, basically how, you know, I, I guess upsetting it is that uh, these young Mopar people are into the new stuff and they aren't into the old stuff. And, um, you know, to kind of be honest, it's, I guess you could say, like, how many of these, you know, of the older Mopar guys that are into what we consider now to be vintage Mopars back then were into the Mopars preceding, you know, those years, you know, you know, 90% of them, you know, I'm, I'm sure didn't really care what came before the first muscle car era, you know, so just to kind of, you know, expose that, you know, um, I'm definitely glad that, you know, I'm into the vintage Mopars now. But I think that you're definitely doing a good thing, Chris. You, you, Johnny Mopar, and, you know, everybody else, uh, DIY Hemi, you know, doing what you guys can do to, uh, I think the social media is just imperative to getting, um, the, these, you know, keeping these vintage Mopars alive, uh, with, you know, us young people. Um, I think that's definitely a good thing. You guys are doing a really good thing. Uh, just keeping the classics alive that way. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to uh, 
kind of touch on. I think it's so funny that your pet peeve is everybody calling their car a barn find. One thing ever since I got into these vintage Mopars that I have really kind of grown a pet peeve to is, you know, because all these cars have the five digit odometers is all of these. It seems like all these guys are, you know, the vast majority of them love to put in their ads 80,000 original miles, you know, 30,000 original miles. And it's like, that's a five digit odometer. Unless you have the maintenance records to prove that those are original miles, I think it's really safe to say that those are not original miles. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, that's kind of my pet peeve that I've uh, really uh, found, be, you know, ever since I got into these vintage Mopars. Um, sorry for the uh, long call-in. I just kind of had a, a lot I wanted to say, and uh, don't feel don't feel uh, like you can't edit out anything that, that sucks or is repetitive. I'm definitely not known for being a good storyteller. But uh, love the podcast, Chris. Keep it up, and um, look forward to hearing you for much longer to come. All right. Bye. Hey, Caleb, thanks for sending in your story. I thought it was hilarious that you decided to go against the already split household and become a Mopar enthusiast. It could not have been easy living with a Chevy dad and a Ford mom, and I imagine that the dinner conversations were quite interesting. I also think it's great that your shop teacher was one of your inspirations with his Dodge Ram. That's really cool. You made me laugh when you talked about giving your parents shit about their vehicle choices, and I probably would have done the same thing. There was a period of time where my dad started buying Chevys, and what I always thought was interesting was that he always talked about his love for his old Mopars and how he wished he had never gotten rid of them. So I really didn't give him too much shit about the Chevys, and they were actually, you know, they, they treated us okay, but Mopars is where it's at. It's always been where it's at, and I've always wanted to get a classic Mopar, and now I have a couple of them myself. Sometimes you have to take matters into your own hands and try to influence people in your life to become Mopar people. And that's what you did with your folks, which I think is awesome. I try to do that in my daily life and with my friends and family that aren't Mopar enthusiasts. But the fact that your parents are Mopar converts because of you is pretty damn cool. Sometimes along the path of life, you know, you end up driving other vehicles, but a true Mopar enthusiast will always end up behind the wheel of a Mopar. I truly believe that. And that's why I try not to judge people when they have to drive something else in their lifetime. Lord knows I've owned quite a few non-Mopars myself. My lessons owning them all were that they were all a waste of time and money because the end game was always to be in a Mopar. So any amount of time or money I spent in anything other than a Mopar was a waste of time and money. <laughs> and dude, I love Magnums. I think the Dodge Magnums were awesome cars, and my only complaint about them has always been that the front ends just weren't as stylish as the 300s or Chargers, in my opinion, and I actually wish that they still produced Magnums. I know there's a guy out there grafting the wagon section of a Magnum onto a new Charger, and I think it's absolutely badass. You need to go check it out if you haven't seen it. The LX platform is a great starting point for a modern Mopar project car. I have no issues with the LX cars. I would love to find a police interceptor charger someday to play with. I think that would be a fun project. And the older LX platform cars are great for people who want a modern Mopar, but they don't have the resources to get like a new scat pack or Hellcat or something like that. But if you can go find a, you know, an 06 to what, 2014 charger or, um, an older Challenger. I think they're great projects and they can be had for a reasonable price. 
you know, Caleb, it sounds to me like you're very mechanically inclined and influential with people in your life. You're like me, a Mopar evangelist. (laughs) So I'm glad you found the podcast. I love to hear stories about people being influenced by this podcast to get a Mopar. That's so cool to me. And I do remember you getting in touch with me about the scamp. I tried to find the messages, but they're buried somewhere and I couldn't find them. Um, I'll see if I can dig them up. But I do vaguely remember telling you to find something else. I have to check the messages again, but you know, when people send me messages about cars and they want my opinion, I'm always honest. You know, I'll never, I'll never butter your bread. I'll always tell you what I really think. Um, and I hope that's the case with, uh, the message you sent me about that scamp. I hope I was, I, I, I imagine I was honest with you. Um, and it's tough sometimes because I've had a couple people reach out to me like they found their dream car. And I'm like, mm, I, I don't know if it's worth that kind of money. But I always tell people, you know, if you feel like it's worth it to you, then by all means, buy it. You know, always buy something for you and not what other people will think of you or think of the vehicle. Um, maybe you're going to overpay for something. That's on you. You know what I mean? They're not spending their money. So what do they care? And you shouldn't care what they have to say anyway. You did mention the title issue with the Coronet and title issues always get me sketchy when I'm looking at Mopars. I told a story about a 10 grill Dodge truck that I was looking at that the title didn't match the body and I was super paranoid and I didn't end up getting it. I'm glad you didn't get screwed on the Coronet. And when a VIN on a car or truck doesn't match the VIN on the title, do yourself a favor and walk away like I did and like Caleb did. Um, Caleb did that and he definitely dodged a bullet. See what I did there? Dodged a bullet. (laughs) Um, Knowing that I even had a small hand in getting you or any other Mopar enthusiast into a vintage Mopar really means a lot to me, Caleb. So I'm glad to hear that. I'll be sure to let Johnny Mopar know that you enjoy our episodes. He'll be happy to hear that. And also, I couldn't agree with you more on the five-digit odometer comment. I get pissed every time I see an ad that has a complete shit box and they claim it only has 40,000 original miles. And you're like, no, that's like 340,000 miles, dude. But Caleb, I'm glad you now have a classic Mopar, brother. And I hope it's the first of many. I thought it would be fun for this episode just to share 10 random Mopar facts with you guys. Now, I realize that these facts are likely old news to some, if not most of you. However, I do know that there are plenty of enthusiasts new to the world of Mopar and new to this podcast, and I want this show to be all-inclusive. You don't have to be a Mopar expert to talk Mopars here. And look, I'll be the first to admit that I'm no expert, but I've always said that learning new things is a big part of the fun for me being a Mopar enthusiast, and I hope these facts will be fun to learn for those of you new to Mopars that may not know them already. I'd really like to get back into the Mopar history episodes, and I think this may be a fun way to get the ball rolling again on that. So here we go. These are 10 random facts that you may or may not know about Mopars. Number one. In 1969, if you ordered a Dodge Coronet RT, you only had two options for an engine. Your only choices were the standard 440 Magnum and the optional 426 Hemi. Number two. For Plymouth in 1971, the 446 barrel was rebadged the 440 plus 6 and lost 5 horsepower, going down from 390 horsepower to 385 horsepower. Number 3. The 1967 Coronet RT was the first road and track trim package for Dodge. Number 4. The 1966 Dodge Charger wasn't actually intended to compete with the likes of GM Supersports, GTO, and the like. It was actually intended to compete with Buick Rivieras and Ford Thunderbirds. Yes, even considering that that 426 Hemi was in fact an optional engine that you could choose. Number five, from 1972 through 1974, 
any Plymouth Roadrunner with the 440 big block option was automatically branded as a Roadrunner GTX. Number 6. The first time you actually saw Chrysler Corporation use the words Roadrunner wasn't actually for the Plymouth Roadrunner at all. In 1967, a magazine ad for the new Coronet RT featured the words Roadrunner. So either someone was doing some fortune telling in 1967, or someone might have been looking for some inspiration and advertising for the 1968 Plymouth Roadrunner. That's a good question that I would love to know the answer to. Number seven, only 10,904 Hemi-powered Mopars ever rolled off the assembly line between 1966 and 1971. Number eight, the 426 Street Hemi was first available in 1966 Dodge and Plymouth B-bodies. Number nine, in 1966, two Dodge Coronet four-door sedans were actually built with a 426 Street Hemi. They were both made into torque flight automatics and both were said to have been special ordered by the FBI. And finally, number 10, while the most common nickname for the 426 Hemi is the Elephant, it did have a few other nicknames. Those nicknames were King Kong, Orange Monster, and Boss Hoss. And those were 10 random Mopar facts that you may or may not have known, but now you do. Thanks for listening, guys. No Mopar left behind. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about this podcast, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your Mopar stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar-addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or you can leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. If you want to help support Talking Mopars, you can pick up some cool merchandise in the Talking Mopars merch shop. There you can order products like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, and more. Another way to help support the show is by becoming a supporter on the Talking Mopars Facebook page. By becoming a supporter on Facebook, you will get access to exclusive bonus content and you will be entered into our monthly supporter giveaway where you will get a chance to win something fun related to Mopars. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.